Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. If you're a guest of ours, you are our honored guest. We're, we're honored to have you with us this morning. I want to jump right in and share with you an email that I got not long ago. And some of you might be able to relate to the message of this email. Here's what the fellow writes. I've had laryngitis, tonsillitis, hepatitis, meningitis, appendicitis, tendinitis, and colitis. I've also suffered from gastritis, bronchitis, gingivitis, bursitis, and arthritis. I've been held up, held down, hung up, strung up, stood up, bulldozed, bloody nosed, blackjacked, hijacked, squeezed, frisked, and mooched. I've helped the Red Cross, the White Cross, I've often been double-crossed, helped the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, a few talent scouts. I've helped children's hospitals, mental hospitals, VA hospitals, spoken out for civil rights, women's rights, animal rights, men's relief, stomach relief. I've worked for a dog, I've worked like a dog. I've been set aside, pushed aside, hit broadside, had to sit outside, demoted, I've been misquoted, walked on, jumped on, dumped on, rained on, snowed on, stomped on, spit on, cut on, ratted on. I've been put off, ran off, ripped off, intimidated, interrogated, berated, separated, and violated. I've been cussed, I've been disgusted, boycotted, boycotted, stunned, shunned, shocked, criticized, despised, ostracized, victimized, brutalized, capsized, analyzed, ill-advised, slapped, trapped. I've been wiretapped. I've been used, abused, bruised, refused, confused, never excused, talked about, lied about, lied to, bawled out, chewed out, kicked out, knocked out, never bailed out. I've been assailed, derailed, and blackmailed, scammed, slammed, burned, stung, stoned, robbed, cheated, booed, sued, misconstrued. I almost drowned. And the only reason I'm sticking around is to find out what happens next. Having read that, I want to tell you, you picked a good week to be here. This is a great time to be here. I'm glad you're here today because this morning we are beginning a brand new series and we're going to be going through some lessons on what happens next. We are beginning a series this morning on the book of Acts. All this year, we have been focused on being a witness for Jesus. We focused on telling people the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And make no mistake, the gospel is good news. Jesus talked about it a lot. The very last thing He said before He left this earth, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel, to everyone. Jesus said, I want everyone everywhere to hear the good news about Me. And then he left. He made that statement and he left. I mean, he came to earth. He did a lot of amazing things. He said of a, lot of a lot of amazing things. He was arrested. He was crucified. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb. He hung around for a little bit longer. And then he left. What happens Next. Because by the time you get to the middle of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is back in heaven. He's back returned to the right hand of the Father. So now, what's next? What do we do? Well, now we look at the book of Acts. The books that we, that we call Acts is one of maybe the key book when it comes to understanding and applying New Testament Christianity. First four books of the gospel or of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about what Jesus said and what Jesus did while he was here on earth 
The book of Acts serves as sort of a bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. A lot of people have called it a history book, a history of the church. I don't know if you remember, it's a couple of years ago now, there was a commercial, I think it was an old Navy commercial, but it was a large uh, college lecture hall, about half filled with really bored students, and a professor walks into the lecture hall in a monotone voice, he says, Glass, open your history books to page 47. And a girl in the middle of the room jumps up and she shouts, History! I love history! First one thing happens and then another thing happens. It's so sequential. Thank you, first guy, for writing down history. Let's study! And everybody looks at her like she's just nuts. Well, the book of Acts is actually a history book that we can get excited about studying. I don't think there's another book in Scripture that is as comprehensive or is as practical as is the book of Acts. Written by a guy named Luke, a physician. He was actually a good physician. Written to a man by the name of Theophilus. I can't tell you anything about Theophilus. I'm not positive he's a man, but I think he was. The only thing I can tell you about Theophilus is the memory trick that I learned when I was a kid on how to remember who Luke wrote his two books to. He wrote them to the awfulest man he knew, Theophilus. See what I did there? Actually, I don't think Theophilus was an awful guy at all. He was a, obviously a friend of Luke's. I, I feel pretty confident that he was a believer. In the second book that Luke writes, he writes the Gospel of Luke, the second book that he writes, the, the, the book of Acts, is sort of a part two of the story that Luke wants Theophilus to understand and know. In the book of Luke, his gospel, he talks about the wonderful things that Jesus did while he was here on the earth. And in the book of Acts, he's going to tell Theophilus and us what happened next. The book of Acts begins with Luke writing these words. Dear Theophilus, in my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day He ascended to heaven after giving His chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. Several people have written that the book of Acts is a book of conversions. And to a large extent, it is. If you want to learn how a first century seeker became a first century believer, read the book of Acts. If you want to see how people went in the first century from being lost to saved, read the book of Acts. If you want to read about how the church grew, how the church got traction, read the book of Acts. But it isn't just a book of conversions. It's much more than that. If you want to learn about when, where, upon what the church was founded, church's organization, how, how the church worshipped in the first century, Read the book of Acts. If you want to learn about uh, some of the giants of faith in Scripture, we are introduced or their stories are expounded in the book of Acts to men like Peter and Stephen and Philip and John. A few chapters in, we meet a guy by the name of Paul who would dominate so much of the New Testament. There are a lot of reasons to study this history book that we call Acts, but maybe the best reason is the fact that it's not really a history book. Because history just looks backwards, right? And Acts certainly does that. It looks backwards. But when you read the book of Acts, it also shines a tremendous light on today. 
on the here and on the now. So many things that we struggle with. So many issues that we have to deal with. The book of Acts addresses. It is a real-time, real-place instruction manual on how to live a Christian life. Not only looks at the past, it also deals with today, but it also points to tomorrow. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in this book of Acts. And we could easily spend several years in the book. We're not going to do that. I'll tell you this, it's not going to be a verse-by-verse study. Um, We'll slow down on some parts and places. We'll speed up in some other parts. We might lump a few chapters together. But I think as we dive into this thing, I think you're going to be encouraged. I think you're going to be blessed. And I think you're going to be challenged more than you expect to be, even if you feel like you're pretty familiar with the book of Acts, as most of you probably are. Now, I have just spent almost 10 minutes warming up. I spent almost 10 minutes sort of in an introduction, kind of getting us ready for the book. Luke doesn't do that. Luke doesn't spend a single sentence warming up. He jumps right in with some really important information. Let's take a look at the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. Dear Theophilus, in my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day He ascended to heaven after giving His chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after His crucifixion, He appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that He was actually alive. On these occasions, He talked to them about the kingdom of God. In one of these meetings, He was eating a meal with them. He told them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what He promised. Remember, I've told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking Him, Lord, Are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? The Father sets those dates, He replied, and they're not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power, and you'll tell people about Me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 8 should sound familiar to you. I've quoted it a lot this year. I've usually quoted it from the translation that says, You'll be My witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It was not long after he'd said this that he was taken up into the sky while they were watching, and he disappeared into a cloud. As they were were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, and someday, just as you saw him go, he will return. Believe it or not, In the first 300 words, Luke sets the entire tone for the book of Acts. In the first 11 verses, Luke makes three definitive points that the rest of this book is really going to be based on. Three points that Luke is going to come back to over and over again, and he points them out right at the beginning, and I'm going to go ahead and point them out to you right at the beginning, what they are. Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is reigning, and Jesus Christ is returning. And for the next 26 chapters, Luke is going to talk about those three things. Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is reigning. 
And Jesus Christ is returning. No warm-up, no filler, no extra ink, no extra paper. I already told you, a lot happens in the book of Acts. And it begins on page 1. Jesus Christ is risen, He is reigning, and He's returning. Look again at verse 3. During the 40 days after His crucifixion, He appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that He was actually alive. On these occasions, He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Luke states very clearly there was a crucifixion. There absolutely was a death. Jesus died. He was put into a tomb. But He's not there now. He's alive. He's risen. He's been seen. He's been heard. He's been touched. He's alive. The King James uses the phrase infallible proofs that Christ is risen. The first thing Luke wants us to know, the grave is empty. It is a definitive declaration. Jesus is alive. The body's not missing. The body wasn't stolen. They weren't in the wrong cemetery. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is risen? What does it mean to you that Jesus is risen? What did it mean to those first century believers that that Jesus is risen, that the tomb was empty. Remember, it was some women who went and saw the empty tomb first, and they went back and they reported it to the men. Do you remember the men's reaction? They thought it was nonsense. And yet, Peter and John run to the tomb, and they check it out, and inside it's empty, and there's some some cloth there folded. What did it mean to Peter and John? Remember, Peter doubted John supposed a miracle. What did it mean that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen? What did it mean to Mary Magdalene as she stood there and two angels, although she didn't appear to know that they were angels at the time, asked why she was crying? Because they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. What did it mean to Mary when Jesus spoke her name? Mary. And she realized, they haven't taken my Lord. They haven't put Him anywhere. He's alive. He's risen. What does it mean to them? What's it mean to you? I'll tell you what it means. It means the redemptive work of God is completed. It means that Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win. It means the blood of Christ, the grace of God, the mercy of the Savior has the power to do exactly what Jesus said it would do. That the same power that brought Jesus back to life is available to us as well. The grand scheme of salvation is complete. We're familiar with Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with Him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's what it means. It means that power is available to us. That you and I can have forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and salvation. Luke, he's not three sentences into his brand new book before he exclaims, He's risen. Jesus Christ is risen. 
And not only is He risen, He's also reigning. In verse 6, some of the disciples kept asking Him questions. When the apostles were with him, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? The Father sets those dates, he replied, and they're not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power. We'll tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells these men there's some things that you don't know. There's some things you're going to find out, and there's a job for you to do. I'm counting on you to tell people about me. I'm counting on you to be my witnesses. Again, we've talked about this at length. What does a witness do? A witness just tells what they know to be true. A witness just testifies to what they've seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced. Jesus said, I want you to tell people what you know about me. I want everyone everywhere to know about me. I want you to tell people about the sacrifice that's been made. I want you to tell people about the victory over death that's been achieved. I want you to tell people that I'm Lord. I'm King. I want you to tell people that I'm reigning. I want you to be my witnesses. And then Jesus gives them a plan. Gives them sort of a, a road map on how to do that. He says, first, I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem. I don't know if you can see the red dot there on the map. Uh, right near Jerusalem. She said, I want you to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. But then, I want you to go into Judea as well. And I want you to tell people about me in Judea. It's a little bit farther. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to go into Samaria. And I want you to tell people about me in Samaria as well. It's a little bit farther. going to be more people. But I don't want you to stop there. I actually want you to go into all the world and tell people about me. I want everyone everywhere to hear the good news of the gospel. Anybody see a pattern here? <laughs> Anybody see kind of a road map here? We start right there in Jerusalem, and then head to Judea, and then head to Samaria, and then go everywhere else. That was Jesus' plan. That was His charge, tell everyone. And as we work our way through the book of Acts, what we're going to find is that is exactly what those early Christians do. They started right there in Jerusalem, and then they went and told everybody about Jesus. And as we look at the book of Acts, what we're going to find is it was people who knew Jesus, telling people who didn't know Jesus, how they could come to know Jesus. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have we not been talking about that? It's exactly what's going to happen in the book of Acts. That's exactly what those first century Christians did. You know, people ask me, well, where do I start? Start right where you are. Right here. Start at home. Well, start in your neighborhood. Start with your friends, your family. Well, what do I tell? Tell what you know. I don't know everything. Neither do I. Neither does anybody else in this room. But I know some things. I know Jesus Christ is risen. I know He's reigning. And I know He's returning. I know He loves me. I know He's given me a joy beyond measure. I can tell that. I can tell that story. When I learn more, I'll tell more. But I can tell people, what I can witness to people about what Jesus has done for me. You can too.
Jesus made it really clear to his disciples that he's reigning. He wants them, he wants us to be his witnesses, to tell people about him. The Apostle John, by the way, was in that group that Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Decades later, John would write his own gospel. He ends his gospel this way. This is the disciple that beareth witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. As John sat down to wrap up his gospel, I wonder if he sat at his desk and wondered, how am I going to wrap this thing up? How am I going to end this? How am I going to finish my story? And I wonder if he thought back to Jesus' words. I want you to be my witness. I want you to tell people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, I want you to, to witness for me. And I wonder if maybe John didn't get a bit of a smile on his face and said, I'll end it this way. This is the disciple that bears witness of these things. And my witness is true. It had to have been a satisfying way for John to end his gospel. For John to end his story. Wouldn't that be a satisfying way for us to end our story? I was a witness. I was a witness for Jesus. And my witness was true. This book of Acts begins by telling us that Jesus Christ has risen. And that Jesus Christ is reigning. And Luke doesn't make it to the second page before he tells us that Jesus Christ is returning. Verse 9. It was not long after he'd said this that he was taken up into the sky while they were watching and he disappeared into a cloud. As they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven and someday, just as you saw him go, he will return. Someday, he will return. I told you, Luke doesn't mess around. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste any ink. He is risen. He is reigning. And make no mistake, He is returning. And the rest of the book really does sort of uh, focus on those three points. Jesus was crucified on a cross, but the grave couldn't hold Him. He's been given all power and all authority. And He sits at the right hand of God today. And one day... He's coming back. If you can, try to put yourself in the sandals of those disciples who were on the hill that day watching Jesus ascend. Imagine their emotions of the past month and a half. They'd been with Jesus. He was teaching. He was healing. He was doing what they'd seen Him do so many times. And then they come to Jerusalem and Jesus is arrested. And then He's crucified. But three days later, He's alive again. And they've seen Him. And they've met with him, and they've eaten with him, and they've talked to him. And now, he's gone. He's gone, and they're still here. If you were one of those disciples, and you were sold out on Jesus, I mean, you'd bought in. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And for the last three years, you've been following Him and you've been listening to His every word. And you are convinced He is the One. He is the Messiah. And your life is wrapped up in Jesus. And now He walks to a hillside and He ascends up into the air. 
Think of the emotions you would have. What do you think you would most like someone to tell you as you watch Jesus disappear into the clouds? For me, I think I'd like someone to tell me exactly what those disciples were told. He's coming back. This thing is not over. In fact, in a lot of ways, this thing is just beginning and now it begins with you. You're going to have to do exactly what Jesus told you to do, and that is to be a witness for Him. To tell other people the good news of the Gospel. But be sure you understand, He's coming back. We're familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with Him forever. He's coming back. And if you're a child of God, He's coming back for you so that we can live with Him forever. Maybe you've heard the, the story, true story, about a caged bird named Pootsie. This bird escaped from her owner one day, came to be in the possession of the Green Bay, Wisconsin Humane Society. When nobody claimed the little bird, a woman by the name of Sue Gleason did. Took the bird home. Turned out they hit it off. It was a wonderful little pet. She loved that little bird. She pretty quickly realized the bird had a vocabulary. Pretty impressive vocabulary. A few months after she'd had the bird, it did an interesting and surprising thing. Jumped up on her shoulder and said into her ear, 1500 Oneida Street, Green Bay, Wisconsin. She was shocked. She did a little bit of research and found it was a valid address. So she drove to 1500 Oneida Street, Green Bay, Wisconsin, knocked on the door. 79-year-old man named John Strubance opened the door. She said, excuse me, sir, do you have a pet bird? He said, I used to, <laughs> but it got away. I sure do miss that little bird. I have no idea where she is. And Miss Gleason said, well, well, sir, you might not know where she is, but she knows where she belongs. And she presented him with the bird. He was overjoyed to get the bird back. He, he laughed and said, she knows her telephone number too. That story really isn't as far-fetched as you might think. As Christians, we have an eternal address fixed in our heart. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Deep down, deep down, just like the old song says, we know this world is not our home. Deep down we know there is more to this than than this. Someone once said, the greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but whether to, rather to feel right at home when you're not. We're not home. Not yet. But one day, as children of God, we will be. God's home is a forever home. And it's based on the undeniable truth that Jesus Christ is risen. That Jesus Christ is reigning and that Jesus Christ is returning. 
And that's just the first 11 verses. <laughs> Aren't you looking forward to the book of Acts? What we've talked about this morning is good news. It is the good news. You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, yeah, I understand that. Intellectually, I know that Jesus Christ is risen. But I don't respond the same way as Mary did when he speaks my name. In fact, I'm not sure I respond at all. Or maybe intellectually you understand Jesus Christ is reigning. But I haven't really been a witness for Him. And maybe intellectually you understand Jesus Christ is returning. But in your heart of hearts, you're not exactly sure you're ready for Him to return this morning. As a church family, you know, if we can help you, if we can pray with you in any way, we want to offer that opportunity. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Maybe you realize I'm not in the right place with God at all. I need to talk to somebody. And we'd love to talk to you about uh, becoming a Christian. I also want to remind you that uh, immediately after our closing song this morning, uh, our prayer room will be open um, right off the, the outside office here, right before you head into the Family Life Center, one of our Shepherds and his wife will be there if you want to pray with somebody in a more private manner. Uh, that's another option for you. But if we can help you in any way this morning as a family, uh, let us know and, and we will. Let's stand and sing.